0: File-centric security, how do you protect information that is shared across and outside the organization? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My pleasure to be speaking today with Chris Niffin. He's a Sales Director with Seclore Technology. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to be
0: with you today. So, Chris, security leaders generally feel pretty good about their data protection strategies, but what do you find that they're often overlooking?
1: Well, Tom, in essence, security leaders are comfortable with their perimeter protection of the entity, and that is that they're protecting people from coming from the outside. They're also comfortable with their data leaving the, uh, the enterprise, that it's encrypted in transit. But what they're overlooking and what they're not thinking about is what happens to the data when it's received by its intended recipient. That once that data is received by the individual they want to have it, they no longer have control of what that person can do with it. So it's the next generation of security that they're overlooking, what the individuals do with the data once they have it and once they have control of it.
0: Now let's talk about financial services. How and where do you find that financial services organizations are, in fact, putting sensitive information at risk?
1: Well, um, very clearly, let's look at the, the scenario that I just gave to you, the data that is leaving the financial service um, enterprise, that it is being sent out to a number of collaborative portals, whether it's a loan service provider, um, whether it's a commercial uh, loan that's being sent out, whether it's um, working with various other banks to put together a syndicate. There's a number of documents that are being sent out to counterparties that the party, origination party doesn't have control over once it's sent. Think of a syndicate trying to put together a loan. You've got a number of syndicates. You've got documents that are being edited. You've got different versions and a lot of different people involved in the mechanics of putting the syndicate together. And all of this data is being sent out to the individual's with no control. So that's an example of how data outside the enterprise is not being protected. Additionally, think of transactional data. Think of data that has been sent up to the board and is being shared by the board and board minutes, and it's being sent by email, it's being put on USB sticks, it's being sent through various collaborative portals, and in every case, it's not being protected once it's received by its original uh, intended recipient.
0: That's a great general example, Chris. I wonder if we might drill down a little bit. Can you offer a specific example of how, say, a financial services organization or organizations have actually been tripped up?
1: Well, absolutely. Let's think back to almost a year ago when Morgan Stanley had a rogue high net worth representative that was trying to sell personal data and financial data of high net worth individuals over the Internet. Now, the reality is that the security forces within Morgan Stanley were able to stop any transactions from actually getting out. But the reality is that for nine minutes, as I understand it from the press, for nine minutes, personal data of high-net-worth individuals was exposed on the Internet for sale. Now, the first thing I can say to you is that that had a, a momentary effect on the Morgan Stanley stock price it certainly had an effect in the public domain in terms of the value, of the, the reputation, of the effect on Morgan Stanley from the PR standpoint. But had that data actually been sold and had it been given to uh, unintended parties, if it were not protected, there's no way that Morgan Stanley could control that. So that's an example of had they protected the, the files themselves and had an info-centric perimeter, even if that data had been sold, it couldn't be accessible. I'll give you another example. There is a monetary uh, agency that we work with in a foreign country that takes in regulatory data from financial companies, and insurance companies, and various agencies. And this data is highly proprietary. It's regular periodic uh, filings. And they use SECLOR to be able to protect those filings when it's received inside their perimeter. Now, not long ago, this particular agency had a security breach, and the data that was protected by Seclor was, in fact, the last line of defense. And that data, while they got to the files, they were not able to get to the information because Seclure protected. So those are two very real, live examples.
0: So, Chris, in light of the need to send and share customer information outside the organization, what should banking institutions and other organizations, certainly, be doing to better protect that information?
1: They need, Tom, um, to think file-centric security as opposed to security of data in transit or of security inside the enterprise. Many organizations think that they've secured files simply because they're encrypted. But once these files reach the desktops of their Intended recipients, and or they're, once they're stored in the cloud, or once they are stored outside the enterprise, they then become decrypted. And that's where all the control is lost. That's where the originator of the file no longer has the ability to restrict or to control what's done with the data. So in that regard, encryption is not enough. These sensitive files must be protected with granular rights. Granular rights that are automatically enforced and uh, are persistent and stay with the file wherever it goes, however it's treated, and however it's potentially altered. So what do I mean when I say rights? Rights are the ability to control the four Ws, the who, the what, the when, and the where controlling who has access to the data, both inside and outside the enterprise, what they can do with it with regard to printing, editing, copying, screenshots, redistribution, when they can use the data, how long do they have access to it? Is it one day? Is it five days? Is it five months? And then perhaps just as importantly, where they have access. So when we say rights, we mean very granular, specific restrictions and or permissions as to who they can access the data, what they can do with it, when they can use it, and where they can use it. And then the last point I'll make here is when we say persistent, we're talking about encryption and protection of the data regardless of where that file goes. Again, when we think information-centric data protection, we're talking about files that if you change the name of the files, the protection's there. If you change the protocol of the file, the protection's there that you can't shake the protection off the file by altering the data itself, persistent from the employee desktop that's originating it to the intended recipient, all through the transition process, wherever it goes. This is what it takes to fully secure information outside, and for that matter, inside the enterprise.
0: Chris, let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into the solutions. What are some of the specific solutions that organizations should be exploring if they indeed want to implement file-centric security?
1: Well, there are a number of solutions that have uh, a lot of different attributes. You'll find these solutions under the title of of information rights management or sometimes referred to as enterprise digital rights management. The great thing is that the latest generation of IRM solutions, it's quite easy to deploy a a file-centric security solution. But some of the attributes and criteria that I would advise people look for is, first of all, ease of use. This is true for any enterprise solution because, as we all know, if you don't get adoption, it's not going to be successful. So the most important one is ease of use. How easy is it for employees and for protectors of data to simply click on an icon and protect a particular file? Or more importantly, how is it for these files to be automatically, by default, protected based on policies or templates that have been predefined? Uh, In many cases, organizations don't want to leave the protection or the encryption decision up to the individual. They want it to be mandated such that the file can't be sent without being protected. So that ease of use, I think, is, is, is critically important. On the flip side, how easy is it for the recipient to access the data that's been sent to them in a protected format. If, in fact, it's difficult for an individual to receive a file, they're not going to access it, and then the collaborative pattern is broken down. So it has to be intuitive, and it has to be easy. I might also suggest that the the organizations that are looking into this ask themselves, how easy is it for a rights management solution to integrate with the current solutions that I have in the enterprise. And not only the current solutions I have in the enterprise, but ones that I might be bringing in in two years or three years or five years. How easily do they integrate with a repository, an ECM protocol? How easily do they integrate with a DLP solution? How easily do they integrate with an SAP solution? Uh, in many cases, there are IRM solutions that are available on the market that have already built connectors to each of these types of enterprise solutions. And then the last thing I would suggest that, that organizations look at is ensuring that the files, when they are open in their protected format, that they open in the native application in which they are written. That Microsoft Word files open in a Microsoft Word application. That Adobe files open in Adobe application. Because in many cases, what you'll find is the IRM solutions will have the files open in a remote agent and that prevents the ability to work in the files in their native application. So those are the core key factors, ease of use, ease of use from the recipient, opening a native application, and for that matter, having integration with enterprise solutions that are present in the marketplace today and that might be added to the enterprise at a future point in time.
0: Chris, we've covered a lot here in terms of giving individuals a sense of where they're at risk what they can be doing, if we take a step back, where should organizations begin just in assessing their current risks so then they know what to do for next steps?
1: Sometimes, Tom, in trying to, to tackle a large enterprise problem, it's easy to become overwhelmed by the the, the the massive areas and you don't know where to start. We recommend, and I personally in working with my clients, recommend that we identify one silo within the enterprise that we can start protecting data. Uh, and we learn in that process how individuals will actually work with the with the software and be able to protect data and change the mindset to protecting data. One of the most common places to work for any organization, whether it's financial services or, or for that matter, brokerage services or even manufacturing services, one of the most common places to start is in the human resources department. Why? First of all, we have some very valuable data that relates to individuals, personal data of individuals, whether it's income verification, personal effects, health data. There's some very private information that needs to be protected. So I often encourage companies to start with individual data as it relates to human resources. What typically happens there is as the Human Resources Department starts to share data that's been protected with other silos in the organization, the other silos take note of the protected data and say, well, this could be appropriate for for this particular use case, whether it's legal or whether it's manufacturing or whether it's um, the intellectual property of the organization being shared with outside consultants. So I encourage organizations to start small, understand the application, understand the implementation and the specifics of usage, develop a learning curve, and then expand throughout the organization. What I'm often concerned about is when companies want to start big and they don't necessarily have the experience and or for that matter the um, learning curve among the employees that sometimes they bite off more than they can chew. So I think starting small and letting it grow organically within the organization has proven to be the best methodology for that.
0: Well, Chris, that's fine insight. I appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to uh, to talking further if we have the opportunity.
0: The topic has been file-centric security. I've been speaking with Chris Niffin, sales director with Seclor. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.